This episode of Astronomy Cast is brought to you by Swinburne Astronomy Online, the world's longest-running online astronomy degree program. Visit astronomy.swin.edu.au for more information. Astronomy Cast, episode 371, the Eddington Eclipse Experiment. Welcome to Astronomy Cast, our weekly facts-based journey through the cosmos, where we help you understand not only what we know, but how we know what we know. My name is Fraser Kane, I'm the publisher of University Today, and with me is Dr. Pamela Gay, a professor at Southern Illinois University, Edwardsville, and the director of CosmoQuest. Hey Pamela, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Fraser? Doing great. I apologize. I'm a little uh, little throaty today. Uh, it's allergy season, and uh, I don't know, I've got a bunch of pollen clogged in my throat i think that is sadness yes but uh i'll i'll tough through it do you have some kind of announcement some news updates on the hangoutathon i do so we are gearing up for the 2015 cosmoquest hangoutathon it will be april 25 26 we now have the event pages up on google and i'm for one very grateful that we can now record eight hours at a time And uh, we're partnered up with the Astronomers Without Borders, Global Astronomy Month, Global Star Party. So we will be bringing you live coverage of star parties around the world following the night as it passes from nation to nation. How cool is that? It just gets bigger and more insane every year. And we watch you go crazier online, 36 straight hours of Pamela broadcasting. Yeah, if there was an easier way to fund myself, I would, but uh, this is the most reliable. Um, yeah, I yeah. trust you guys to do what's right more than I trust referees who may not have actually read my grant proposal to right. do what's right. Right. Uh, yeah, so so the event page is already set up, and so if you're listening to this, how could people navigate to the event page to click yes so that they then get all of the updates and, and recommendations that will go into your calendar? So we are Plus CosmoQuest on uh, Google+. Plus. That sounds redundant. Mm-hmm. And uh, just look up all of our events. They should be the most recent four posts on our feed. And I will be putting all those links on our Google Hangout page. And uh, that's over on CosmoQuest. And I, of course, have forgotten the bit.ly link in the time it takes me to mm-hmm. open up and get to the show. We'll get that next week. We still have a little time. We do. All right. Uh, well, let's get cracking then. This episode of Astronomy Cast is brought to you by Eighth Light Inc. Eighth Light is an agile software development company. They craft beautiful applications that are durable and reliable. Eighth Light provides disciplined software leadership on demand and shares its expertise to make your project better. For more information, visit them online at www.eighthlight.com. Just remember, that's www.thedigit8thlight.com. Drop them a note. Eighth Light. Software is their craft. At the turn of the 20th century, Einstein's theory of relativity stunned the physics world, but the experimental evidence needed to be found. And so, in 1919, another respected astronomer, Arthur Eddington, observed the deflection of stars by the gravity of the sun during a solar eclipse. Here is the story of that famous experiment. So we're continuing our, our 
sort of series on experiments. And they all seem to be hovering around relativity, which is kind of kind of great. Like Einstein was right, as we've said in a previous episode. And these are the experiments that showed that he was that he was right. Uh, now, this one, of course, is great because Arthur Eddington looked exactly like David Tennant, as I recall. <laughs> <clears throat> so I'm not the only one who found that while preparing for the show. Yeah, there there was Well, you know, he did a show. They did a they did a the a BBC documentary. show. Yes. Yeah, did a did a uh, dramatization of Have the Arthur. Have you seen it? Yes, yeah. I love you with hate or hate you with love. I'm not sure which. I tried frantically to find that show because it's two awesome people. David Tennant, Andy Circus? Yes. Gollum. Yes. They they did a show where they played David Tennant was Eddington and uh, Andy of Gollum fame uh, was was Einstein and <laughs> it was apparently quite excellent and is it was impossible wonderful. to get in the U.S. Yeah, I guess as a Canadian, we get access to the BBC stuff and uh, and I remember watching it like a long time ago, like it must have been six. Came out in two thousand and eight and HBO ran it in two thousand and ten, but I don't have HBO. So. Yeah. There's got to be some place on the internet. So uh, email Pamela with a link to where she can find it and uh, and she'll be get a chance to watch it as well. Uh, but yeah, no, absolutely terrific. And so it's great to have it dramatized. And so I saw this just wonderful relationship with Eddington and Einstein as they sort of, you know, Eddington went out and helped find the the experimental evidence to support these really revolutionary theories. So so what happened in reality? So, so from what I've been able to piece together, um, the two of them did actually work together on this insofar as Eddington was very much a I want to figure things out by the books kind of man. He did do some stupid things now and then. He did not believe in white dwarfs. It was a belief system. He and Chandrasekhar fought for years and years and years. But at the same time, he was also someone that was very interested in trying to figure out things like, why does the sun work? Why do we see what we see? And he was the person who figured out why actually the sun has been glowing for longer than fuels like coal would allow. But one of the other things that just kind of itched at the back of his brain is this constant annoyance was our inability to explain the orbit of the planet Mercury. It was off by just enough that you couldn't wipe it away by saying it was observational error. And when Einstein started publishing his his theories, uh, Eddington engaged him in conversation, basically trying to understand what are all of the observational problems this is now going to explain away. And once he wrapped his head around the idea of relativity, um, he looked up when is the next eclipse that one can get to that it is a full eclipse and long enough to set up cameras of the time and it was the two, the 1919 eclipse uh that passed over um africa and the island of principia off the coast of africa which is where eddington went that's right and and so the experiment that he was trying to do here was was as predicted by einstein Gravita- I guess gravitational masses will be warping space-time, and so light should, the, the sun should warp the light that's moving towards us, but that's a really hard thing to test because the sun is so bright, and so the only time you're going to be able to see that is during an eclipse. So what was sort of the, the experiment setup that they were, they were looking to do? 
Well, conveniently, the sun was uh, affecting the light from the Hyades cluster, a nearby cluster of stars that's many dozen million years old. Actually, I think it's over 200 million years old. And these stars are spread out a fair amount. They're sort of scattered all over the head of Taurus the bull. And the sunlight, depending on how far the sun's the sun was from the light of a given star, would bend the positions that the stars appeared to be at because the light, rather than shining straight towards us, well, it would get bent. So the light we would normally see would get bent out of our field of view, and the light that would normally shoot above or below or beside the planet Earth would instead get bent to actually reach us here on the planet Earth. This bending changes the apparent positions of the stars. Now, Newton's theory of gravity also predicted that gravity would have the ability to bend light, but because Einstein's theory didn't actually bend space-time, uh, his theory was off by an entire factor of two. So, so the measurements that Eddington was trying to make of the positions of the stars next to the sun would show whether Newton's ideas about how this should work or how Einstein should work, which one was more was more accurate. And so the precision of the experiment was really important. Now, I know that that, you know, while Eddington was in Africa, other teams were in South America because the eclipse was going to do this big, long path. Right. And so this was part of it as well was they wanted to test this out from different positions on the Earth as well. And and so we had astronomers that were in Brazil catching one part of the eclipse path. We had Eddington on Principea, which is is actually an island off the coast of Africa. And they they were all basically doing the if enough of us look up, someone's got to be without cloud cover. And this actually meant that the the observations were more complex than one might wish. So you have the problem that when you look at something like a cluster of stars, you're capturing that light through an optical system that may have all sorts of distortions in it. And we've done several different shows on this. So you have to, as best you can, use the exact same optics in the same optical alignment, but you can't always do that. So they did the best they could. They did fancy plate solutions to try and correct for everything that was wrong with their optics. And they took images first when the Hyades cluster was in the night sky, far from the sun. And then they captured pictures of it during essentially the daylight, but during an eclipsed daylight moment. And in 1919, photographic technology wasn't exactly what it was today. So they're in a situation where they're trying to not destroy their optics because, well, the sun's corona is still there. It's, It's not entirely dark. If you've experienced an eclipse, as many of you experienced on Friday, there's still a whole lot of daylight to deal with. And so their initial measurements weren't great, but they were good enough. They were good enough. I mean, I, I understand there was a lot of controversy after they even made those calculations. I think as if in the show, um, <laughs> which is, you know, the way I'm going to base all of this, television taught me so much. Uh, but in the show, it was like it was a slam. We've seen it. There it is in the telescope. You know, Einstein was right. Have you got this, Einstein? So, um, but if you, you know, I think, you know, it was photographic plates. They brought them back. They had to study them. That And there was enough 
sort of discrepancy in the way they did their calculations that that a lot of astronomers weren't convert con, weren't convinced. And and it was the the basic problem of you're trying to take a photo very quickly. You've pretty much got a shot. And then you're making all of the measurements by hand on a system where all sorts of distortions could have come into play at various steps. So there, there's actually pictures on the internet that we'll try to find to put up in our show notes of the photographic evidence that Eddington took. And you can see the little marks identifying which of the stars are measuring, where the sun has essentially been blocked out by the moon. And there's not a whole lot of stars to go by, and they're not all snuggled right up next to the sun. So the amount of deflection we're looking at is the amount of a few periods of newsprint on the glass plate. It's not a lot to work with. And there was a probably a whole lot of confirmation bias involved in Eddington's discovery. But the thing was, even if his initial results were, uh, for lack of a better phrase, kind of crap, um, they got people thinking in the right direction. Had he come out and said, no, Einstein is wrong, as so many cranks wish he had, there might not have been all the follow-up observations that were made. Instead, thanks to confirmation bias and the determination that the results would be correct, I. Uh, there was, first of all, cover stories and things like the London Times. And there was experiment after experiment after experiment, knocking down the error and showing that while those initial results had a lot of error, had systematic bias, had confirmation bias that confirmed Einstein's theory, well, that confirmation bias was based in luck, but led to the actual correct answer. Well, and the... Um the other observations that were done in Brazil were more gave more evidence towards the Newtonian findings. So you know you could see why there was a lot of controversy. But uh, but still it was and and apparently you know like 1979 they did a lot more research and you know used modern computers, modern-ish Apollo era computers <laughs> to to reanalyze the data and got a much better result out of it. Well, and, and luckily there are eclipses on a regular basis, so we didn't actually have to wait all the way up until 1973, um, which is lucky because now you're starting to get into things that happen in our lifetime. But uh, in 1922, Lick Observatory was able to have its astronomers make a series of observations that agreed with the 1919 admittedly biased and highly errored yeah. results. Um, and confirmed, yes, this does appear to be true. And it's been major eclipse after major eclipse since then where we've continued to improve our results. Very cool. So how did it kind of go after with Eddington's work? How did this sort of affect his relationship with relativity as a, as a theory and sort of the thinking and the science that he did? As you said, he was so, he was so sort of, he was the person who figured out how the sun works. Right. And a big chunk of that is is relativity. Right? No. In that the sun <laughs> is, you know, I, I just think of it in terms of like that there's like the quantum processes that are going on in the sun. A lot of this is all connected. No. Now I sound like a woo-woo <laughs> Cho Deepak Chopra, don't I? Um, oh, 
<laughs> so, so Eddington was someone who was deeply passionate about understanding the observable universe and trying to piece together enigmas. And the sun was an enigma. When he started doing his research at the turn of the last century, people couldn't figure out how to bring the geologic record and the solar record together because the geologic record said Earth is older than the sun should have existed even if we're going with the few thousand year model folks. And and that's kind of depressing to think about, but they were trying to figure out how long the sun had been burning based on observed output and the most efficient energy sources we have on Earth, which are things like coal. And the sun as a coal burning object just couldn't have lasted that long. And it was Eddington who sat down and started working through the quantum mechanics, which is in absolutely no way unified with general relativity. We haven't got there yet. Still haven't unified those together. Right. So so he was deeply engaged in trying to piece things together, looking at nuclear processes, looking at the results coming out of many other different individuals. There's J.J. Thompson's work that just got us to start thinking about things in quantized ways and so many other people. And we're going to get to these in future episodes. Um, But there were other enigmas out there that were bothering Eddington as they bothered so many other scientists. And Mercury's orbit was one of them. And being able to to use the theory of relativity to start erasing these enigmas was a powerful thing that he was in a position to go out and say, yeah, this this theory actually works. But when it comes to his work with the sun, this this was just a side foray into a different part of science. But what was important is we were able to go from hmm, light gets bent. We know that from Newton. Light gets bet more, we know that from Einstein, to now we know that there's gravitational lensing that we can use to see multiple replays of the same quasar as the light takes multiple journeys to reach us. We can use it to detect dark matter because gravitational lensing, well, dark matter that we can't see any other way bends light as it passes through the universe and we can basically figure out from all of those bends where the dark matter has to be. Eddington's observations were the first step in a revolution in how we understand the path of light. And it's gotten us all sorts of different places. So, you know, we we discussed this in that episode about Einstein being right, and we sort of talked about all the different kinds of, of observational tests. Some were done very early, like this one. This was really one of the big first observational tests. The 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 procession of Mercury was was the other one. But some have still yet to be done, even to this day, right? Some of some of the some of the like the direct observation of gravitational waves is has still yet to be done. Right. So so we're still missing gravitational waves and. It, it's been a study progress. Einstein's theory of relativity started out from a place of we don't get Mercury. Oh, wait, now we get Mercury to solid predictions where uh, one of the quotes I found um, was uh, Einstein famously made the quip. Then I would feel sorry for the dear Lord. The theory is correct anyways, was uh, his response to Dyson on on how we'd feel if Eddington didn't observe 
uh, yeah. the correct amount of bending of light. Yeah, God I'm is sp- God is messing up moving the light rays because I'm right, not God. It, Exactly. So, so we went from he solved the problem with Mercury done out the door, to predicting uh, how the light would be bent, and they had the technology at the time, albeit with a lot of errors, to prove that his idea for a test actually confirmed his results. Then there were the time dilation issues, which we needed more precise clocks. Um, but atomic clocks came along, jet planes came along, and we've proven the ideas behind time dilation. The muon, which we figured out how to detect, proves the idea of time dilation um, as as well with, with its journey from the upper atmosphere to the Earth without destroying itself. Gravity waves are a problem simply because they're really hard to observe. We have spent billions of dollars here in the United States trying to detect them with LIGO, which is a long baseline interferometry system that has multiple setups across the earth where uh, they have giant, um, essentially letter L's, different perpendicular tracks that they look for the length of the tracks to change as a gravity wave passes over the planet earth. The problem is that these setups also detect things like, oh, that mountain actually weighs more because it's absorbed a lot of water from that rainstorm. And there yeah. was this small seismic thing. Yeah, we can't do it from the surface. But the the editing eclipse experiment is just like that is and with relativity. I mean, that is classic, perfect process here, right? That that Einstein f- does the calculations explains something that was already an anomaly with mercury and then makes a prediction about what experimenters should find if they try to do something. And so then the experimenters go out and and he says, hey, you know, I know this has never occurred to you, but why don't you go and see if stars are bent by the gravity of the sun? And people are like, what? Okay. And then they go (laughs) and they see the gravity is bent, you know, bends the light from the sun. And, and and then the prediction holds and then and they like you couldn't ask for a better uh, scientific theory really than than that. And and the fact that he then made, you know, he's like a Nostradamus. He made like no, these, he made all these he made all these these predictions about what we should see in the universe. And then the experimenters went out and they were true. Um, Except you can recreate how he made his predictions. You can't recreate how Nostradamus made his predictions. Well, it's true. You can just make stuff up and it's all wrong. Right. That's how you do it. (laughs) Yeah. Then there's nothing the same between those two. Right. So, so all I'm saying is, is that if you are a wannabe physicist scientist out there and you want to, uh, really perfect your craft and you want to be remembered through history, just be more like Einstein. That's all I'm saying. Right. And, and this is where there's so many areas of science where we get questions and sometimes we we have to say, mm, not actually sciencey right now. Uh, what caused the Big Bang? Don't know. Can't get there from here. Not testable. Uh, what is this string theory thing? Don't know. Can't get there from here. Not testable. Give me a theory that has tests and I will happily read your maths, but if you present me something that has no testability, I'm, I'm not sure that's worth my time right now. 
uh, life is too short for untestable theories. Right. Uh, now, were we going to tackle some of the other experiments as part of this? I, I, my concern is that this is going to turn into a series that's going to run for seven years. So, because <laughs> there's so many great experiments. And I mean, this is, I mean, we are in the nitty gritty of, of how these experiments were set up and how they worked and, and what the outcome was and how it really helped push the predictions forward. And as you said, you know, there's the time dilation, there's indirect detection of gravitational waves, there's the precession of mercury, there's all of these other experiments. So, well, know. we, we've already talked about the precession of mercury in another episode where I got the number wrong. Um, mm. that's why I remember we did it. Um, we are going to handle some more of these experiments. We're not going to spend seven years on it, although we could. I, I had the terrifying realization this morning that I've now been podcasting for more than 10 years. And um, so clearly we we could keep going, but yeah. uh, we will be getting back to straight astronomy in the not too distant future. I just yeah. want to do a little bit more to explore the atom before we get there. Sure. Why don't we, I don't know, we'll put a limit on the number of these experimental type <laughs> shows we're going to do and then uh, uh and then we'll we'll move on to other topics in space and astronomy because there's other stuff too but we know you want to hear about it and the reason that i added this one is we're gearing up in 2017 for an eclipse that's amazingly viewable the one that eddington dealt with in 1919 started over South America, great, wonderful populated cities, but it started there. It didn't have a lot of track over South America. Um, then it spent a vast amount of time crossing the Atlantic, uh, went over the Principe Islands, uh, went over Africa. But by and large, this wasn't an eclipse that was observed by millions and millions of people. In 2017, we have an eclipse that basically is going on a music tour of the United States, starting at Seattle, uh, crossing through St. Louis, Nashville, pick a city with a music style you like, go there, watch the eclipse. Yeah. Yeah. And I will absolutely be visiting the United States during that time period. We're about 900 days away, I think, at this point. And, and people are starting to gear up. I, I'm on a task force with the American Astronomical Society where we're starting to gear up on getting the word out on how to observe it safely. Um, we'll be doing something here. The eclipse is at maximum 30 miles south of where I live. It's going to be a great event, and we're going to be able to, if we feel like it, recreate what Anakin did, except better. And right. it's always fun to recreate things better. Yeah. So by all means, absolutely clear your schedule. 2017, August, you're going to want to visit the United States and you're going to want to see this eclipse because it is, it couldn't be a better time of the year. It couldn't be moving through a you know more easily accessible part of the United States. It's going to be mind bending. And, and every time someone says, where's the best place to go? All I can say is pick the type of music you like and go. <laughs> I'm going to look at past weather forecasts and uh, and find a place that typically gets a lot of sun during August. But that's just me. Yeah, it's August. Everyone gets. Yeah, yeah that's a good idea. But still. I was thinking Eastern Oregon. One of the rainiest places in the U.S. Eastern Oregon deserts. Okay. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um. Cool. Okay. Well, thanks, Pamela. We'll see you next week. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Astronomy Cast a nonprofit resource provided by Astrosphere New Media Association, Fraser Kane and Dr. Pamela Gay. You can find show notes and transcripts for every episode at astronomycast.com. You can email us at info at astronomycast.com. 
tweet us at AstronomyCast, like us on Facebook, or circle us on Google+. We record our show live on Google+, every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, or 2000 Greenwich Mean Time. If you miss the live event, you can always catch up over at CosmoQuest.org. If you enjoy AstronomyCast, why not give us a donation? It helps us pay for bandwidth, transcripts, and show notes. Just click the donate link on the website. All donations are tax-deductible for U.S. residents. You can support the show for free, too. Write a review or recommend us to your friends. Every little bit helps. Click support the show on our website to see some suggestions. To subscribe to the show, point your podcatching software at astronomycast.com slash podcast.xml or subscribe directly from iTunes. Our music is provided by Travis Searle and the show is edited by Preston Gibson. <laughs>